Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us and I appreciate our new listeners and I appreciate the old listeners too who've been with us and appreciate the new five stars and appreciate the new reviews we've been getting. And thank you for every new listener in every new country that has joined us and our old listeners too. So today's guest is a special guest that I've, uh, uh, thanks to Julian Ryan, a good friend of the podcast and a good friend of ours, that we've got this wonderful lady who joined us today. And without much further ado, I introduce Dr. Connie Depinio. Correct. All right. <laughs> so um, her birth name is Maria da Con- <laughs> Concesiao. Concesiao. Right. Concesiao. <laughs> Close. <laughs> the Res challenge. De right. Rice. Yes. Rice Depinio. Right. right. Who is a clinical psychologist in private practice at Northwest Chester, New York. Connie was born in Luanda, Angola during the colonial colonial era. And her parents came from Portugal, very poor rural area, under the repressive fascist government. And Angola had been a colony of Portugal since 1575. That was even much longer than Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And Portuguese were the first to arrive in Nigeria by the way, for those who are not aware. And they arrived in my area, too, of hmm. Nigeria. So that's some ties between Angola okay. and Nigeria. Okay. So um, she's, the, she's one of six children, and her father built a grocery store along with his wife, whom he married 13 years after arriving in Angola, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. So we'll dive a lot into the history and how she was affected by the whole history of Angola. So welcome on the show, and thank you for joining thank us you. today. It's a pleasure being here. It was my pleasure mm-hmm. to have you here. So how would you describe your childhood? Okay, um, I had, an, uh, I would say, an unusual childhood. Um, I actually just very briefly, uh, when I was about three years old, I got very sick in Angola, and I was sent to Portugal for two years. Uh, well, I lived with relatives and um, came back to Angola at five. I was in better health. Uh, but looking back, I think there's a political kind of background to what was going on with me. And my speculation is that it has something to do with the people at the time, the political people. So um, as you know, most African countries gained their independence around 1960. Yes. And um, uh, so what happened in Angola is in about 1961, so I was born in 59, 1961, there was all of a sudden the independence movement, especially one of them that's still in power today. Um, There was a a surgence of um, Mm anti-colonialism and really fighting for their independence. So... There was a huge massacre of at a police station in Luanda, um, with pol- police Portuguese, and also mostly in the coffee plantations in the interior. Yes. So a lot of the plantations were run by the Portuguese. Mm. Um, so um, that brought, uh, at the time, so my father, my parents were living in the slums, really, and they were like the only Portuguese family in the area. And my father rented a, a very small grocery store, with the house. So at the time, um, there was a lot of fear, um, be- especially because we live among the Africans. Yes. So the reality is that my father at night would go to the Portuguese men and, you know, and drive around with police and look for any kind of um, disturbance, I guess. So my mother was left at home, at home unarmed, and she was, and I remember she always talked about this with great terror. She was only, um, she had a three-year-old, my oldest brother, me, and she was pregnant. 
And there was so much, there was so much distress. My father went temporarily blind. I mm. became very chronically ill. Anyway, so that to give you a background history to what happened. I was sent to Portugal, came back to uh, two years later. Uh, so the unrest was much more under control. The Portuguese army moved in very quickly and pushed um, the freedom movements into the interior. So the area where we lived in Rwanda was relatively peaceful. Um, so when I came back two years later, my father had moved and he had built his own house and the store at the outskirts of the slums where we had been. Yeah. And right in front of it, um, there was a Portuguese white neighborhood being built with, you know, houses and paved roads, electricity and running water. Behind us and, and around us uh, remain the slums where the Africans lived. So I was very much, it was interesting, I was on the border between the two worlds. Mm. And um, so it really speaks for how could I make sense of these li people living so differently? Yeah. Because behind me, people are very poor, living, you know, in mud houses mm -hmm. and, you know, corrugated tin roofs and uh, no running water, no electricity, you know, a very narrow pathways. So for me to go to school, I actually had to walk through the slums. So in the morning, I would go by myself, um, and um, I would see how these families lived. And meanwhile, I would come home. So here I was in, white, in a white uniform, you know, school uniform, clean, and my backpack, and going to school. And, and there were kids running around not going to school, and how do I make sense of that, right? Mm -hmm. How could you integrate the two worlds? So, and I remember as I would walk through, there was a feeling of discomfort. So there was certainly an awareness that something, this is wrong. Um, I couldn't be indifferent, but I also didn't know any other reality. So I didn't yeah. know how to make sense of it. So it really, um, that, marked, that was one of the experiences that marked me the most and formed me because you really uh, made me aware how we can develop a whole belief system. And if it can go unchallenged and, and, and resolve, you know, for, for many years to, to go. And uh, if, we know, if we don't know any better, we accept things as they are. Hmm. So you probably ask me why um, wasn't that challenge at home or even doing talks at home or the schools. It wasn't because Portugal was extremely repressive, even if they knew people talking about possibly independence or letting go of the colonies in any, any form, um, the people being arrested and, and sent to exile. So it was really very repressive. So we couldn't even be exposed in, in the schools. Mm -hmm. We were only exposed to the Portuguese literature, Geography. I knew the names of all the authors, uh, Portuguese authors. When they died, when when they were born, yeah. the name, but nothing about Angola. So Angola. you have a so. whole book of geography about what they planted in different agriculture areas of Portugal, which is tiny country, and and Angola is fourteen times bigger than Portugal, and it's two pages. Wow! Right. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, you know anything <laughs> about the, the Angolan literature? I didn't know any. Nothing. It was all about the Portuguese literature, um, and that's how that's how the culture I grew up in. Um, so I think um, one of the things that I learned from that experience, if you don't it, uh, uh, analyze life, is a life half lived, really. Mm. If you don't question, if you don't go beyond um, your world. Uh, you really haven't fully lived a life. So that's that, 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 that's like you know placing someone in a bubble. Yes, that's what you, it was. You 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 just you know you remain stuck. Exactly. And you wouldn't know what's outside that that bubble, and you just think the world is one way. Right. Because that's that's how, literally how it was in right. Nigeria for a while, thinking everything was just based on how the British made exactly. the world until yes. I started realizing that there was more to the world. Than what was outside the British, which was kind of why when I had the opportunity to learn French, I said, why, why do I need to learn French? Because English, I already know how to speak English. So right. There's no need to learn um, French because 
I already speak English. Everybody needs English. The British taught me English, so right. I'm superior to exactly. another person. Exactly. That's, that was my mentality at one time. And then later on, I realized that um, I should have learned French when I had the opportunity right. because I wanted to learn other languages later on. And I started struggling. So, yeah. So, um, going back to your childhood, you know, um, were there any memories that were your favorite or sh- played a role or shaped your life in making you the Connie that you are today? Yeah, I, I would say um, I certainly had wonderful memories. Um, there was a sense of freedom uh, in many ways. Like on Sundays, I would uh, go to six o'clock mass. My parents would take us to go really early in the morning. And then my father, we had a pickup truck, a Peugeot. <laughs> and it would take it would take a pickup, you know, with six of us and my cousin lived close by and there were eight of them and everybody just piled up on top of the truck and, you know, there were no seat belts, yeah. there was nothing. <laughs> it's just, you know, one on top of each other and... You know, I think once we left one of us on the beach because there were so many of us. But anyway, it would just drop us for the day, and the beach was like uh, half an hour. I, I, I had an experience like that. You did? <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, it was fun because, you know, there were no lifeguards. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know how to swim. We just kind of took care of each other. We spent that the whole day, and it was so much fun. It was really, that's a, one of the, the warmest memories. It was a sense of freedom yeah. and community. And we'll get together of a large family picnics um, um, at the beach. And we got together a lot with my family, like every weekend. So oh, okay. that's probably one of my favorite memories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just a sense of, I don't know, a sense of community. It was... It was nice. It was really nice. That was beautiful. Yeah, that that's one thing I've noticed, and almost everybody is uh, who's been on the show is that sense of community. Yes. No matter the continent or the country that you're from, it's that sense of community. That's one reoccurring theme that yes. everybody always brings up. And know. that's one of the things I miss the most. Yeah. It makes me very sad that uh, I mm. don't have that. Even though I have siblings, we get together. He's not the it's same. He's not the same. Yeah. He's not the same. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah. There was. I think we live in a very individualistic society. Very that, um, that's, achievement, that's, money yeah. driven, and the sense of uh, it's almost like being independent is the way to be, and being uh, you know self-fulfilling and and achieving rather than sense of community and relationships and love and that's true yeah i do miss that too yeah <laughs> i will get together with my cousins and you know every sunday and i'll play the 45s you know back then and the beatles mm-hmm. and you know and the one of the bands in angola was very well known at the time was duro negro and we just listened to ABBA, we just danced, and we played, we read comics, and it was beautiful. Yeah. So how old were you when you first experienced the freedom movement? Or, you know, what was your memory of the freedom, freedom movement like? Yeah. So, so when, um, I guess when I went to Portugal at age three, I didn't, I was little, so I had no idea what was going on. When I came back, there was no talk of it, really, even on the radio and the news. My father read a lot, mm-hmm. um, but there was no access to any other, any other um, source of media source, yeah. uh, newspapers. So there was no really talk about the independence and what was going on, the military and the repression of the Africans, none of that, and the abuse. And... Mm. and, and so for me, um, in 1974, when Portugal had the coup d'etat and they decided to give independence to the colonies, was my first really awakening, like, what is going on here? Mm. And um, for the first time, because I lived a year in Angola before we left, for the first time I was exposed to African literature, uh, poetry. I learned so much about the the freedom movement in schools, all of a sudden there were all these books available to us. Oh, wow. And the history they had never known. So for me, it was very refreshing. I had loved reading about it because it just felt closer to home. Portugal felt like a distant land. Yeah. Didn't really, I didn't feel Portuguese. I felt like I live in these two different worlds. You know, I listened to African music. Every night I would fall asleep to 
you know, people playing the drums at night and singing. So that kind of a sense of, and the culture and the food. And so I didn't, I didn't feel connected well, to Portugal that much. You had more of a sense of belonging to Angola. Yes, yes, and Africa. You grew up there anyway. Yes, exactly. been in the environment all this time. So what happened then is um, my father actually passed away. He died five months before the the revolution in Portugal in 1974. So my mother's left six young children to take care of. She took over my father's business, took, although she didn't know anything about it. But she was really a trooper back then. So all of a sudden then uh, there were three factions, three movements. They wanted the power. Mm-hmm. And um, they started fighting. There was like a civil war, literal killing each other. And um, and they also stopped pushing um, the Portuguese out, out of their homes, out of their neighborhoods. And they started by the areas in the slum. Since we were in the slum, we were on the first targets. Now, my father um, had a beautiful legacy because um, he was in many ways very different from the Portuguese, the traditional Portuguese man. Yeah. He was very involved with the community, he loved the Africans, loved it. He had no interest in going back to Portugal, he didn't go back to Portugal until we were on vacation there right before he died. Um, he, t- he loved, you know, hanging out with them, drinking with them, eating with them. Our house was a open home. And my father also took care of a lot of people there because they had so little. So he built a a school behind the house. He built some homes within homes. He uh, brought electricity to the area. Um, he gave credit to people. So when my father died, my mother realized that, you know, the bank was at the door saying, we have to foreclose you, your business, your home, because mm-hmm. you, oh, and she had no idea. So he was, because he was that kind of person, uh, we, the, the neighborhood tried to protect us for a very long time, but then they couldn't anymore. Yeah. And so we had to, to leave, and the houses got burned down, and then we moved a couple more times. It was a mess a year. And it became clear that there was no uh, resolution to um, have a more an integrated um, government, perhaps, or mm-hmm. to have an, a way we could still be there, but be independent from Portugal. So we had to, we all left in a massive exodus from Luanda, from Angola, and practically everybody left. So lost home, lost all the money. Portugal did not recognize our money, gave us like the equivalent of $100 to go back to Portugal. Wow. Uh, lost everything, friends, it was all gone. So literally left, um, like my, the way my father came when he was there at age 16 with the clothes on his back. That's wow. how we left to Portugal. But anyway, so we left uh, in July, my mother and my older brother stayed a couple months longer to be able to, to bring a car and a carrier and a boat carrier. They had to wait for like two months in line mm-hmm. to get the car because that was the only thing we could bring. Um, and then in November was the independence. The, 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 at midnight, the night before the independence, we still didn't know who was going to take over. So oh. one, one of the movements sabotaged the whole. And Portugal did try to have some kind of negotiations amongst the three movements, integration. But this one government, which is a Marxist government, still is in power now, um, sabotaged. They got all of a sudden they got all the Russian, the Cubans to come, and basically bombarded the whole city, um, and they took over. They're still there. Um, Lots of destruction. To, I'm trying to remember his name. The, the the man whose daughter is like the richest woman. Oh, in that's a, he was the second president because the first one, Agustin Net, actually died within two years. Okay. This uh, Jose Eduardo dos Santos, um, Isabel Santos is the name of the woman. Yeah. Took off thirty eight years, but they just. Yeah. I know. Horrible. You know this <laughs> typical, unfortunately, very sad story. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, I don't know how I got into all of this. No, so you asking good. me? Oh, the freedom movements, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, so we we're hoping to make to stay there. I mean, mm-hmm. for, that was my home. Yeah, yeah. I am. Portugal is not my home, I, and um, it was heartbreaking. And we always hope to go back, but it just never stabilized. So, do you, do you know? Um, because I'm pretty sure, like, not only your dad was the only person that came from Portugal that tried to make a life for yes. himself or herself 
in Angola, there must have been other Portuguese who tried to who settled in Angola, like married Angolans. Yes. You know, what, what, do you know they anything that happened to those people? When did they have to leave, leave the with, with, with their yes. families? Yes. Like take the people they got married to, their kids? Yes. Well, Pretty much they, everybody They weren't accepted? Left. Yes. And, uh, during he, the, so during the fighting, those weren't, they were, there was like, yes, you exactly. were married to Angolans, we don't accept you still, you have yes, to leave? absolutely. Oh. Even uh, many Africans end up leaving. Angolans, okay. no, Africans, uh, they're born there, mm-hmm. um, end up leaving to for Portugal. I mean, a big oh, number. So that, that's how a lot of black people ended yes, up in Portugal. exactly. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. it's so unstable. Yeah. I mean, there were grenades bursting everywhere. I mean, we kept moving because there was... Fighting, shooting, mm. grenade. I mean, I, I know I've read about landmines. Horrible landmines. It was just terrible. Yeah. Very unsafe. Yeah, Princess Diana went there. Yes, I, yeah, a, I, the I, highest I, number of landmines mm-hmm. in the in the world was in Angola. Yeah, I remember. I was in Nigeria then, and I yeah. remember seeing when she went to the well, the area where that had the landmines, and that was I think that's the first time I ever probably saw landmines in real life yeah that wasn't in a movie mm. it was when princess diana went to angola and i saw it on the news yes yeah. so now that you guys returned to um portugal that opened a new chapter because you guys were referred to as angolan returnees yes which was a, um, a, um, a way of being despised Yes. By the Portuguese society. Yes. Because they weren't looking at, uh, in, at you guys in a favorable manner. That's right. So in what ways were, were, were you guys despised over there? Well, I think, first of all, Portugal was going to remember, you, they are 50 years of very extremely repressive uh, fascist government. We couldn't even read books in psychology. It was really that bad mm. and political and so forth. All of a sudden, freedom. You know, and so the communism took over for a while, the socialism and all that. So the Portugal was, everybody's on strike, was just a mess. And so we had all the influx of all the people, the Portuguese coming back from the colonies who had built a life there. And there was no jobs, there were no room in universities, there was nothing. And the families felt, I think the families there felt very burdened to take care of us. Um, And so there was a lot of um, upset over that. Um, and uh, there was always uh, some friction between the Portuguese and the, the, the colonial Portuguese mm-hmm. because they always felt like it may be at some level jealous because we had a, a much freer life there within Urnar, um under the the ruling. I mean, it wasn't the ruling of the Portuguese government, but it was not like everybody spying on us kind of thing. Yeah. You know, there was more freedom. There was We were more exposed to different cultures. <laughs> and so... We should think we're a little bit more <laughs> advanced. <laughs> so there was a little bit of that, you know, unfortunately. Um, resentment, I don't, I'm not sure. It was just different. We w- wore yellow shirts with the red pants and in Portugal, everybody wears black. So just to tell oh. you the difference, you know, like we were just out there more open and uh, Portuguese were more guarded. It was just, it's a different culture. Wow. I don't to say. Wow, that's interesting. Well, you know how well, in Africa everyone wears bright colors. Yeah, you know that's what that's what I was like. You know. So did were there clashes on the street? Were people did it get that? Bad no, it was more it was more like the spies. You just felt it, okay. and the, the family was not happy to have us there. Wow. So we and my mother was very fortunate because she had a sister had been in the states for many years. And uh, she told us, you know, you're never going to make a living there. Uh, it was bad. It was bad, our situation there in Portugal. And uh, you're never going to put six young children, well, from the age 16 to three or four, my youngest. Mm. Uh, she said, come over. And so we came. Wow. So we were only there for about a year. So we were all very lucky yeah. that we left. Wow. I had no qualms about leaving Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I met people, they were wonderful, and I still very good friends from there. And they yeah. were, but you know, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that was good that you guys were able to leave like 
you didn't have to stay for too long. Yes. You know, in that situation. So I have to take you back to Angola. Yes, please. What was your favorite food? Okay. While in Angola. So my favorite food is that um, actually we used to have a woman that would come and wash and iron our clothes, mm -hmm. you know, because then there was no electric, you yeah. know, machines and there was not even the iron. It was with coals. So as you can imagine, it was a full-time job for her. But she used to come and, and make the food for us sometimes. It was a typical um, West African food. Um, that was my favorite ways, like mandioca flour, and you ground it, you know, in this big um, wooden bucket, I would say, with with a stick. Oh, like, so like a piston? You yeah, pound exactly. It? Like yeah. You pound it for yeah. a long time to the point that it's, it's gluey-like. Yeah white pasty almost like glue mm. and and then you put you make a stew um that is like palm oil based stew okay. or chicken or fish and you put on top of it oh, it's just delicious mm. for then i dream of it for years mm. that was my favorite i would say one of my favorite dishes um that uh, would have there and there was a lot of seafood there that's going to be my next question of seafood was a big a lot. cuisine i mean you would go to the bars instead of peanuts they would give you shrimps and oh. all kinds of seafood because okay. it's so easily available yeah there. Oh. it was bountiful so you 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 were more into the angolan cuisine than portuguese cuisine uh, my heart is Angola, in Angola. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know, everything Angolan. So that, that includes music too? Yes. And uh, But in Angola, we actually have to say we listen to music from all over the world. Okay. That's one of the things I was very surprised when I came to the States. We don't listen to American music here. I was I used to listen to American, European, Brazilian. was big, mm -hmm. a lot of Brazilian music. Portuguese, African, it was such a variety of music. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, they all sound the same music here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, from all over the world. Well, now, I don't know how it was in Nigeria. Well, I, I'll come to Nigeria, but now that you mentioned Brazilian, and something just popped in my head. So, um, I think my brother was talking to me about how a Brazilian who worked with him not, not long ago was complaining about someone from Portugal speaking to him and he said he couldn't understand the Portuguese person that he, what kind of Portuguese does the person speak like uh -huh. and I was like I was listening to another program and someone who lives in Portugal said yeah Brazilian Portuguese is now the number one like it dominates all Portuguese yes. so I was yep. like oh it's funny how that works <laughs> yeah that's right that's right that's right I was, I was about to ask like so what you guys listen to <laughs> the music from Brazil is there yes. is it does it sound different when you hear the Portuguese Brazilian Portuguese and Portuguese yes. and Angolan Portuguese or how does that work all of them sound different oh all of them we have a, an accent in in Angola then mm. the Portuguese you know who all yeah. sound different it's interesting so, so when you return back to uh, Portugal, th that was one way people could tell yeah, that you were exactly. from Angola. Because we were exposed to language there. Like my father actually sp spoke the the um, the tribal language of the area quite yeah. well. It was Kimbundu. Um, so we knew we were exposed. We hear it all the time. You know, mm -hmm. it was all around us, and we knew words mostly curse words. I have to say, <laughs> but uh, we knew a lot of the words. So you're exposed to that and the rhythms and the, the things, the song is the language has a different sound. Yeah. And so you incorporate into, into the Portuguese. The Portuguese. Yeah. Okay. So it starts to change. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So your question on the music. Yeah. I think when I was younger, I never really realized it, but after I moved to the United States, I think I began to realize it because uh, on our FM stations back then, when, when I still used to listen to radio, they played everything too. And I had everything from Afrobeat to Juju music to mm -hmm. high life to country and rock, pop yep. and everything. And then when I moved to the United States and I joined the Navy and I was on the head crew and we were cleaning the, the bathrooms and myself and a, and a friend who was born in the Philippines, we were singing rock music mm. and I remember someone turning in shock and looking at myself on the Filipino dude and was like, 
well, you, 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 you guys know rock music? I'm surprised. <laughs> how do you know that? You guys have been in America for how long? Yeah. So you, you, guys, you guys learn really fast. <laughs> and the Filipino yeah, looked at yeah. him and said, have you ever heard of something called the radio? Yeah, yeah. That's he right. said, yes. He said, they have that around the yeah, world. Right, right. And he said, oh, uh-huh. oh really? He said, yes. Uh-huh. And he plays music. Yep. It's not like American radio that plays only one type of music. Yeah. Ours plays all types of all music. Of the world. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It, he was in, and the dude looked so dumbfounded and was he just he couldn't really put two and two together to understand. Yes. And and, uh, and it's one thing that put me off American radio is it seems like most radio stations just play one type of music. Uh-huh. And yes. I couldn't really get it. I couldn't get it when I started listening to American radio, it just yeah. felt weird. But yeah, back in Nigeria, I grew up listening to uh, uh, radio. I just caught all types of music. Yes, that's right. On the radio, from traditional everything, I've listened yeah. to everything. So I just grew up thinking the world was like that. Yes. Until I came here and yeah, realized right. that was, yeah, each yeah. radio is a specific type of music you get yes. exactly. in America. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when uh, so I, I was start. With, I want to ask you about culture shocks now. Mm-hmm. And when you guys, uh, so I don't know if it'll be when you were younger or when you returned to Portugal, because you went to Portugal a couple of times. So was there any culture shock you you um, discovered when upon re- arriving in Portugal? Not really, because I'd been there a couple, a couple of times. Couple of times. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be America then. So what was your first culture shock in America? I guess everything was big. You know, highways. I've never mm-hmm. been, I never been seen a highway with two lanes. I mean, it was all one lane in Portugal <laughs> <laughs> and in Angola. So the highway, the cars were big, people were big. Every everything just everything is big. I remember that sense of just big. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that, believe it or not, it's so silly, but. Um, I was surprised everybody spoke English because <laughs> it took me so many years to learn English. I'm like, how can these little kids speak English so fluently? You know, it's like, you know, mentally, it was like yeah. I couldn't adjust to that. Um, although the English that I learned was the British English. I could not understand the word people saying here. I don't know if you learned the British English. I learned English. British yeah, English. Yeah, that's right. The British English, yeah. It took a little bit. It was funny because I could speak British English when I got here. Now I can barely right. speak British English yeah. anymore. I that's struggled right. to, I can understand it, but I, I, I can't barely speak British English anymore. Yes. I'm so Americanized. That's right. You know, which is yeah. sad. But. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, you adjust to, to, to the place where you yeah. live. Um, so that was, that was one of the things that, um, that, that, and the sense for me, it was a sense of freedom. I felt like uh, safe mm-hmm. when I first arrived. So this is finally, it's going to be my new home. So I wanted to learn everything American. I want. I didn't want to really associate much the Portuguese. I want, uh, so many years went by. I actually forgot to speak Portuguese, if that's possible. <laughs> I know because I just wanted to be fully integrated in the culture and the, and if it, there was a sense of freedom. I remember going to church. You said you can go dress the way any way you want. I went once with shorts. Can you imagine, like, you know, going, <laughs> going to church? You got the veil, yeah. and you, you know, I make sure you fully covered. So there was a sense of just you could be who you want to be, and the opportunity, and it was exciting. It was a future, and I knew I could be who I, who I wanted to be if I work hard. Yeah, I remember. That was nice. That, that was a good example that you brought up, wearing shorts to church, because, yeah, I'm not, my mom is like that too. She, 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 you can never catch her wearing shorts. Or, right. And she, she, right. She still wears a full African yep. attire and she'll go to church like that. And after I arrived, it didn't matter if it was midweek, I'll go to mass. I was still religious then, I'm no longer. But back when I was, I would still wear the full dressing. And then one day I was like, wait, why am I all dressed right. up and everybody's relaxed? Casual. And midweek. Right. I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm going to be. When go back to my, because they used to complain about me as a kid, uh, if it were possible for me to just wear t-shirts uh-huh. every day to every occasion, I'll just wear my t-shirt right. and jeans. Yeah. So they, they were like, put this kid in a traditional attire. No, I'll, I'll try and fight out of it. <laughs> we're going to a wedding. What are you going to wear? Pick your outfit. That's when they stopped allowing me to pick outfit because I'll just pick a t-shirt. <laughs> and they're like, nah, you can't no, wear a t-shirt right. to... A wedding, you can't wear a t-shirt to a burial, you can't wear a t-shirt to, no, you have to 
dress appropriately. So yeah. uh, I came here. I was like, oh, I can wear a T-shirt to Sunday mass. Okay, yeah, I'll wear a T-shirt then. Oh, and my mom will look at me. Well, what are you doing? Right. I said, like, we're going to mass. So yeah. I'm wearing my T-shirt. Like, uh, it's Sunday. You, you can wear this for midweek, but you can wear this on Sunday. Right. <laughs> Come on. It's, you, you, your friends are all wearing T-shirts and all that. Why am I the only person that has to? She's like, yeah, but... I look at me, I'm wearing them. I say, no, no, you're yep. the one who chose to wear this. It's summertime. You're already sweating before you even leave yeah, the house. And you're true. all wearing the whole uh, regalia and everything. I before know. you step out, it's like, woo. I think after my first <laughs> summer here, yeah, I saw how hot I was in Virginia. And I, the heat got me. And I was like, I did not realize how hot America can be during the summertime. I was like, nah, I'm not even going to be wearing a suit and tie on, on a Sunday. Nope. You can't try it. No, right, no, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, do, do you have any sense of deja vu, you know, after arriving in the United States because your parents had to move from a country, from the country of their birth due to circumstances beyond their control? Do, do you ever get that sense of deja vu that you had to do the same thing? Um, I didn't make that connection, but... Um it was more like here we go again, moving. Because mm -hmm. you know, even during the one year, we moved like three times. Like I said to you, like my house got burned down, so we had to move, lost everything. Then we had that area became bad. Then we do that area. Then in Portugal, we moved to family temporarily. Then we moved to our own place. There were so many moves, and I finally was like, oh. So in that way, I was thinking more in terms of, okay, I can breathe now. Um, so now I didn't. It was like after so much unrest for so long, yeah. it was nice to feel like I didn't, I, I didn't have to worry about walking out and being shot or the grenade bursting or in any way just free and safe. Yes. It was nice. It is nice. Yeah. It's a good feeling. Liberating. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was really wonderful. Yeah. It is a good feeling to have. So do you follow spots? No, girls did not play sports growing up. It was just gymnastics and dance. So my my brothers, on the other hand, they would spend the Sundays with their ears glued to the transistor radio because that's what we had. Yeah, uh, listen to all the soccer games, the Portuguese soccer games. All I hear sometimes was like whoa, <laughs> and they go on and on for like a whole minute. And I said, oh boy, somebody scored. <laughs> but they would. They would fight to listen to the, you know, to the game of three brothers I had, and they all be like, listen to this little radio, yeah. and you know, and, and they all have two different teams they're fighting for, you know, and they're supporting. So they were, you know, big into soccer, but no, not me. I, I know that yeah. feeling. Right? Like, <laughs> I, even though I, I, I was born in the 80s and was more of a 90s child of, you know, my formative years, but yeah, I still listen to the radio a lot. Because we didn't have, we couldn't afford um, the cable. So, yeah, we had TV, but no power, you know, with power outages. Mm. So you could always put your battery in the radio and transistor radio and just right. keep it by your ear and be listening right. to. Yeah, and with the radio, I could also discover the world with the AM by right. fine-tuning and tune, 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 and then capture, oh, what's this? Oh, this is, oh, this is France. Oh, this is, oh, this is the UK. Oh, this is Germany. And you just be lucky and catch some programs that's in English and it was sometimes some programs that were in, that were in a language I did not understand right. but they'll be playing music right right so I'm just that's listening cool. to it for hours really and cool. yeah so that's another way I discovered the world and programs from different continents and yeah, yeah but that was just the magic of radio and it was magical yeah, yeah. It was magical. It was magical. So we didn't have TV so there was no TV you know but um, that was the radio was everything. Mm -hmm. Listen to everything on the radio. Yeah, yeah. constant companion. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was it was beautiful. Yeah. It, was, it was nice. It was nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, so now um, bef before I was going to ask you about your involvement with the African Women mm -hmm. um, Education Fund, yes. but before I get into that, you are a clinical psychologist. Yes. So how how did you decide to become that? Uh, well, actually, I think all my experiences growing up and all the upheavals and traumas really mm -hmm. um, made me very interested in, in psychology 
and and then and the mind and also uh, having had so many experiences, different experiences growing up, open up, um, especially when I came to the states, open and open up the whole world that I didn't know. There were so many different cultures I was exposed to, um, and so when I, you know, I was in Angola, I had wanted to be a language teacher, but when I came here, English being the one the main the Germanic languages when I came here uh, so it would have been English and German um, it made no sense for me to hear language because they had to teach me how to speak English um, so I was in I went back even though I had finished high school in Portugal I went back one year just to learn the language really quite the language before I went to college yes and I remember speaking to my health teacher I said I don't know what I'm going to study now and that makes sense she goes I think you'll be a good psychologist I don't know when after she said that it really made sense to me because psychology was not even studied in in Portugal in Angola, uh, it was prohibited. Um, mm. So I um, it just I became very interested. Well, that, I took one year of psychology year that after you know the people in Portugal, and I became very interested in, and uh, I think that's what led me to. I wanted to help people. Yes. And um, people that have been through very difficult life situations, uh, you know, a lot of based on my own experiences. And the resilience, the strength, you know, put to go through whatever we went through and to be able to overcome it. And so that was very important to me. Yeah. And so, um, and I love it. <laughs> I love it. As a important has given great meaning to my life to be able to help people. Yeah. And psychology is something that I don't think um, in Africa we talk about that a lot. Yeah. And that, like even for us men, especially black men, we, it's it's something that probably after my time, in, in, it even took me years after I got out of the military before I started being open enough to embrace mental health and looking back on my childhood and years in Nigeria and you know just conversations that we had the mental health space wasn't something yeah. that was encouraged and then I look at the way we talk to women it's even worse mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. it's always good when I see and hear from women and seeing women going into that field and mm -hmm. it's something that I always tell my people That's that great. yeah we we, yeah. we we need to have that conversation yes. and it's something that we shouldn't shy away from That's right. and it's something that I've been through and I'm still going through yeah. and I encourage others to um, take that step. That's great. That's yeah. great. That's it's, and it's not only limited to just military folks. It's something that even those who haven't necessarily been through trauma should be open to um, seeking, uh, get, getting help for, for that because right. you, should, you don't have to wait until something drastic happens to you before right. um, yeah. getting help. Yep. So that's that's what one advice I always give to that's great. everyone. Good to yeah. hear that. <laughs> yeah. So you are involved with the African Women Education Fund. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, so I live um, in Croton Hudson, which is a small town up in northern Westchester. And I was invited to, by a friend to go to a fundraiser for AWF, that's what we call it, um, African Women Education Fund. I went and uh, I didn't, oh, there's such a thing here. So it's is an organization, nonprofit that started right in, the, in town um, with uh, helping um, a young woman from uh, Kenya to go to school, the the local uh, uh, priest in the local church and some women in the community started um, raising money to this. You know, he's a Franciscan um, brother, so they yep. do a lot of missionary work in Africa. And uh, he was asked to help this young woman, and then she she was our f the first one, and then just start growing and and then expanding, expanding. So about five years ago. After I went to that fundraiser, um, I was approached to do a presentation for the next fundraiser about the education system the, during the colonial area in Angola, and I did that. And then the, the board president um, asked me to join the board, and they did. 
So since then, I've, I've been very active. At the time, we were supporting girls um, in Kenya, Tanzania, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. And I introduced the program in Angola. Hmm. Um, so right now, we're supporting 15 girls to go to school. And the white girls, because usually, as you know, uh, education is very, it's, it's, people don't have money yes. in Africa. And, uh, you know, the annual um, income a day on average in Africa is $2. So mm -hmm. they, uh, whatever little money they have, if there is any little money, is to m maybe the boy will go to school. Yeah. Because not, the boy carries the family name. Exactly. That's, that's the and the economic, they have more the economic responsibility, mm -hmm. typically also. And the girls stay home and take care of the home and the, the younger ones. And so we wanted to empower those girls to be able to have an opportunity. So that's what it's. What I like about this this uh, nonprofit is that every single dollar goes directly to the girls. Yeah. So the board um, kind of takes in all the expenses. We pay our own expenses. Okay. Even uh, transfer um, fees, the bank fees, mailings, everything. We internally take care of that ourselves, our, our own pocket. So. It's literally every single dollar that's given is for the girls. And oh. so we take these girls that are in remote villages, they have no access to education, and bring them um, typically to boarding schools. Um, um, and they we pay for the tuition, the books, you know, uniforms, everybody has to wear uniforms there, room and board uh, for a year, and then if, then we continue for four years. So our commitment is for girls to finish secondary school. And then a lot of them go on to the next level, but it's different in Africa than it is yeah. here. It's not like you go right into the university. You have all these choices of universities and colleges to go to. You might have to work a few years, um, low paying jobs until you can accumulate enough money to start paying for the tuition and go to school mm -hmm. for, for a higher degree. Yeah, but sometimes too, the, uh, depending on how the girls perform, they might also earn a scholarship. Too. Yeah. So, well, I don't least, know if it is getting getting the but the secondary school foundation is very important because the moment most people can't really afford that and struggling that's like the main foundation and the moment you have that foundation you can easily build to build for, yeah, for, little for by them. little yeah yeah so and and I think you know because Angola after we left it went on this uh, hard. Civil War of mm -hmm. 27 years, and yeah. so all the infrastructure, all the schooling. So basically, like two generations went uneducated. So we're talking about very basic education. Um, even the girls that we supported now, they're struggling in school because they didn't have a good, solid background. Yeah. But as soon as they done all the high school, they actually immediately start teaching already in the primary level. Wow. So because there's such a need to the dearth of, of uh, teachers there. Mm -hmm. Um, and nurses and basic, you know, healthcare, basic yeah. education. So it's a real need for that. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll post a link to, um, our AOF on the, oh, on the that'd show be great. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate when that. I release the episode. Yeah. So Very people, people can find the group. Yeah. yeah. And I went back to Angola last year for, after, my, for the first time ever. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. As part of this group, question. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah, tell us about that, um, your, your first visit. So, um, you know, for all those years before, I, I held sort of a romantic view. What I mean by romantic view is what I knew mm -hmm. growing up. And, and it was extremely painful when I couldn't go back to Angola. Uh, my heart literally is broken. And for 20 years, over, it took me about 20 to 30 years to get over the sadness and the grief of losing their home mm -hmm. and my country. So when I went back, even though I knew, uh, because I kept up with, with the news, I knew I'd done a lot of reading that it was a whole different country. I, it's, it's one thing to know, it's the other thing to actually see it. Yes. And it was the devastation, the poverty. Uh, it was just, it was awful it was just awful it just really broke me and that was it got me very very depressed um and it kind of involved me more even more so to do some more work you know uh to to help these girls but it's weird because when i landed there it's almost like the part of me that still 
wanted to find those familiar places and 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 my home, my neighborhood. You wanted almost like things to re- preserve the same, even yeah. though it was like forty five years later. Um, and of, and trying to find what's familiar, it was really an interesting experience. And then, for instance, one of the things that I found that was actually kind of intact was the churches. So when I walk into the church, it was the only thing. And I'll see, oh, my God. So I'm like 15 years old, but yet I'm like, I'm 60 now. 60 years old, and and I'm like, I couldn't put it together. It was like I was living two realities at the same time. Mm-hmm. It was a strange, like a dissociation. It was a strange feeling, very strange. Um, but outside the churches, you know, there were... It was just the slums everywhere, and everything is unkept. The roads, the paved roads now, they're all like they all like mud and broken. And hospitals is just horrible. We visited a hospital, and there were like children sleeping, um, one with malaria, the other one hepatitis, and all in the same room, just no medication. It was just, it was horrific. It just broke my heart all over again. Oh man. It was terrible. So it was hard. It was hard going back. But now, did you see were you able to find or see anybody who you knew from back then? So one of my cousins uh, eventually went back after the the peace was mm-hmm. in two thousand twelve, I believe. Uh, he went back and he's been there since and trying to make a living there, and. Um, but he uh, was only one that I saw. That so everyone else had left. Wow. Yeah. Uh, any of um, the Angolans that? I had, no, no. I it was even hard to find my my neighborhood. It was just a mess all over. Mm-hmm. The roads, the you know houses, you know built on, on top of each other it was just. It was. It's so like you had a map, you have like yeah. a basic yeah. map of where things should be. Um, but I don't know what happened to people. So I have to tell you an interesting story. Mm-hmm. So I'm vi- I'm going to, going through the neighborhood, my old neighborhood, though everything has changed and, and it's so much poverty there. And um, so I go to where my house used to be and it's gone. It's not there anymore. And um, and all these people, their shacks, and trying to sell things on the road. And anyway, so I was, I was take, taking pictures because I wanted to bring it back to my family to show, like, this is what, what's there now. And um, and the people there were like, no, 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 don't take pictures. I said, well, I'm sorry. I, I was just, it's okay if I take because I just want to bring back. I used to live here. And then I, I said, my father was his name. I said my father's name. And they said, oh, my God, that was that's you guys. And they remember as all of a sudden all these people come and um, a lot of them older people, but even young people said, I, I didn't know your dad, but I so much, my parents always talked about it. you guys were so great. They remember everything wow. and said your father was such a good man. He was so we felt so bad that you guys had to leave. This man came and said, yeah, I remember when your father died. We were so heartbroken. We was the biggest funeral in one at the time. And he said he's the one who brought us electricity. And he's the one in the, in the, he died in, of electric shock. Oh, right? Electric no. fix and refrigerator. It was an accident. Yeah. He said, it's, you know, the irony overall, they brought electricity to us, but then he ended up dying uh, from it. And, and he gave credit to everybody. And they helped us so much. He took us to the hospital when we needed to go to the hospital the night. So they remember all of this about my father. I was shocked. This wow. was part of uh, 45 years later. Yeah. But you know what? It's the biggest lesson. I said, this is what you leave behind, the mm-hmm. legacy. And we hope that that goodness or that something, the kindness my father would continue to live and give them a sense of hope for the I'm not sure he goes, nobody said our lives here are horrible. We are so poor. We have nothing. So much worse now than it was ever before. Wow. But that really was very empowering for me. So I'm hoping with the work that I do with African Women Association, a fund is to, I'm not on the same scale, but to do a little bit of that, give back. 
mm-hmm. and to pay for the sins of our fathers. I mean, the, how the Portuguese as colonialists brutalized those people. Yeah, that's uh, that's. I mean, your your dad's legacy. It's, it's that that's beyond. You know, I think that's beyond any dream of like you know that's one thing that doesn't make me crazy about being like a millionaire billionaire those those kind of the materialistic things yeah it doesn't matter to me something like that that matters to me leaving a good name behind because money comes and goes yeah it comes and goes i mean i've lived through that money have money don't have money money no poor rich poor not that rich but you know what i'm saying in comparison to people in africa i am but um it's, it's what do you do? What do you leave behind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The legacy, the, the, the love that will continue on to the next generation, that generation will give us on to the next. And that's what immortality for me is about. Mm-hmm. That's immortality when you live, you live in other people's heart and then it continues because they, then they, their heart is bigger because of your influence, whatever, and then pass on. Yeah. Because that that seed that he planted, it continues to grow. Yeah, and it it will it will it will live forever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was beautiful. It is. So, do you have any plans to take your husband and son down? Someday I would like there? to. Yeah, I actually what happened well, the reason how I end up the the trip last year because every couple of years the board travels to Africa to see how things are going. Yeah. So we went to Kenya for Nairobi for a week, um, and then so it was a group of eleven I think of, of us, and then I went to Angola which just with my niece. Okay. So the twelve because she was very interested in you know uh, learning about Angola because she's an actress, and she's writing movie script about my mother and her experience in Angola. And so she wanted to know, but um, but someday, I will, yeah, I would love to bring them. But it's not safe. I understand. It's very unsafe. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, we were continuously under the protection of the person who was the intermediary there in terms mm-hmm. of the funds, which is a sister. Yeah. Um, because it's not, you know, it's not safe. Lots of corruption, lots yeah. of crime, unfortunately. Yeah. It's the unfortunate side of the when the war the the wars just ended technically, but things are still not officially settled. You, this, the, you, you, that's what you have to deal with. So it's sad. It's very sad. Yeah, and this, it's still like there's side side by side with Nigeria. It's like the, the, when it comes to oil and gas, that's like the richest country in Africa. Yeah. So. Yeah, but on yes. the outside, the people who don't understand that, I'm like, hey, they got oil and gas, so why why do they have problems? And I'm like, yeah. how many hours do you have for me to start explaining that to you? Let's start with the uh, fact that, you know, we all lived peacefully in tribes, and we had our mm-hmm. own organization, political and religious, and religions and language and mm-hmm. culture, and Europeans came and... Mm-hmm. And caused a lot of trouble. Angola yeah. didn't exist before. No, same, with, so, same, with, same with Nigeria. That's right. The old kingdoms, they have <laughs> yeah. their own culture, their own people, their own ways. and Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll be here all day. <laughs> we could be here all day. I know. It's the same story, right? In all uh, the countries in Africa. Yes. Repeat itself. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, we have to get to the final question. Okay. So I always like to ask my guests... This last question. So, is there anything you would like to leave the audience with as a advice, or maybe a quote that you've been giving, or a mantra that you live by, or it could be some quotes that you remember from a book that you've read, or just anything that speaks out to you. Um, a couple of things. One is that. Um give room to challenge your belief system. Mm. So allow yourself to branch out and and listen and question and expose yourself um, outside you, like you talk about the dome yes. that you live in, that we all live in, right? This bubble. Yeah. We all live in that bubble. 
and to stretch that and to even bust the bubble. That's right. It's a good thing to do um, because your life will be so much richer. And as a result of it, too, um, that would also bring a, a, a greater level of compassion and love and acceptance uh, of others and um, the importance of that, passing that on to others. Yes. If you live in your little bubble, it's limited. Your ability even to love becomes limited. True. So uh, plug-in um, AWEF, and do you have any other plugins you like to leave? No, AWEF is, is my, right. my plug-in. All righty. <laughs> I'm actually going to have a fundraiser dinner next week with my sisters. We're going to invite like 30 new people, women, oh. that we know to raise awareness and funds. Okay. I'll post something about that. Thank you very much for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure. Appreciate it was having really, you. Yeah. It was very nice talking to you. It was nice talking to you I too. I have the opportunity to share my experience. And it was a beautiful experience to listen to. Thank you. Hope to have you again. Thank you so much, <laughs> Rafael. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.